Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Welcome back to the Your Family Dog podcast. This is Tina Spring. I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Julie Fudge-Smith. Sadly, Dr. Glass uh, wasn't able to make it today, so you are getting a current affairs version of the Your Family Dog podcast. So as Julie and I were chatting before starting recording, as we often do, I was discussing that the Lamborghini that um, ran into the back of a semi-truck on I-75 North uh, around the Atlanta area that was a rental, ow, uh, that we saw that, I'm going to loosely call him a gentleman, that gentleman driving like a fool uh, and then we saw the aftermath, right? We There was a debris field that was about a mile long. And then we saw the aftermath of the wreck. Uh, and fortunately, he did not have a passenger and he uh, only had minor injuries. So that was my exciting thing that happened while I was driving up and back to Nashville. So this is going to all sound completely unrelated to the Your Family Dog, but stick with me. So then Julie said, well, let me tell you about the thing that I was related to. So it turns out, I think most of us have heard about the black bear attack that happened in Arizona um, while Julie was on a wonderful vacation and uh, have watched the news conferences from the biologists and the veterinarians and, and uh, the, the national, uh, is it the national forest service? So they they talked about like what a rare behavior this was that it you know this kind of thing is nearly unprecedented at least in the United States and Julie says guess what I went to school with the guy and I was like no way so way so part of what has been said about this incident with the bear but also happens a lot in human interactions, as well as, you know, the people who try to pet the fluffy cows in Yellowstone and those maulings and gorings uh, and interactions with our dogs. Lots of times the media throws around the phrase unprovoked attack. And so that got Julie and I thinking and talking about all the different ways that can manifest. So instead of talking to you today about how to stop your dog from begging for food, which everyone needs, we're going to have a random conversation about un- the phrase unprovoked attack and you know maybe twist your kaleidoscope a little bit and give you some different perspectives to marinate on when you hear that phrase. So as is typical, I just did the half hour long introduction and now Julie, can open up the first comment. Thank you, Tina. Um, so the it was um I have to say it was it was a bit of a shock to learn that Steve had been killed by a bear. We had been um, good friends in our sophomore year in college, and um, what happened when I had thinking about this was I sort of put on the dog trainer hat or the scientist hat and took a step back from it and went, hold on a second here. The idea of an unprovoked attack, Tina and I hear this a lot when we talk, when people are talking to us about dog bites. 
And there's always kind of a red flag for me. And it always makes me stop and go, okay, let's, let's back up. Let's take a look at the history of this dog. Because oftentimes it's not unprovoked and it's not unforeseen. Because the, the problem is you just didn't know what to look for to see what was leading up to it. That the time that the dog turned away or walked away or lifted his lip or maybe let out a small growl when you did something. All these things can be indications that the dog is uncomfortable and trying to tell you to back off so I don't have to escalate to the next level. And what will happen sometimes is a dog will, you know, close his mouth, go real quiet, and maybe let a small growl, and then the owner may or may not yell at the dog, and the dog's like, well, okay, I kind of thought I was making it clear I didn't want you to do whatever it is you were doing. So maybe next time I'll have to growl a little bit louder or I'll air snap. And if that gets punished, then I escalate again. And people think then it comes out of the blue when indeed for the dog, it was probably a progressive thing that built up to the point where I just can't take this anymore. And it may have happened on a day when my back was sore because I played too hard or I swam too much the day before. So there could be things that are underlying physical conditions that exacerbate the dog's behavior. But what I usually find is very rarely are these bites by dogs unprovoked. So I kept thinking, well, what about the bear? People said that, and Steve apparently did everything right. He um, didn't have any food. He was just drinking coffee. There was no apparent reason why the dog would, would attack him at his campsite. Two things came to mind when they said, well, this is a very rare behavior for black bears. I thought, how well do we know black bears? Um, maybe it's, it's rare that they're predatory on humans, but how predatory are they? If there's nobody else about in this remote area, maybe the predation came out on Steve because he was around and available. I don't know. I don't know if we know enough about black bear behavior to be able to say whether or not being predatory is an unusual behavior, at least predatory towards humans. If there's no other prey around, what are you going to prey on? The other thing that I kept thinking about is, was it unprovoked? Steve may not have done anything. He was just sitting there drinking his morning coffee and didn't even realize the bear was, was approaching. And um, I'm not blaming Steve. Please don't make it out bad at all. But what I'm wondering is what do we not know about the bear's perception of that particular spot? Maybe that's a place where he used to have a den. Maybe that's a place where he had, you know, a, a female bear who was, you know, a den for her. Maybe it's a place that um, had, for, for lack of better term, a special meaning for that bear. And Steve building a house there was the provocation. I don't know. Maybe it was a territorial thing. But I highly doubt that it was completely and utterly unprovoked because that's not, doesn't seem to me to be the norm in most behavior, for most animals and their behaviors, that there's generally a reason why they do it. We may not understand or recognize what that reason is, but that doesn't mean, so I think sometimes unprovoked just means we don't understand what the provocation was. And 
I don't think either of us are saying that unprovoked attacks are are impossible, right? So um, a few, some somewhat ridiculous options I came up with was it sounds like this was a predatory attack. This was, a, um, I believe, a seven-year-old bear based on dental analysis. Yeah, um, and he was big for his size. It was filled with all the normal things bears eat with the exception of human. So this bear, you know, they they found the flora and fauna that would be typically found. Um, the bear was healthy, no evidence of disease, though they still were waiting, of course, for some pathology reports. Um, but the, you know, the for- necropsy showed that there was nothing unusual about this bear. He was healthy, he was fit, he was muscular, he was actually a little above the average weight. He was 375 pounds, and they usually max out more like 350. So the question then becomes, okay, well, you know, if predation isn't really a behavior, it's an instinct, which goes goes past all the, the decision-making process, right? So if Mr. saw our cat, he would grab the cat, shake him and kill him before he realized like, oh, that's the cat I live with, right? And it's not that that Mr. hates the cat. It's not that the cat um, has ever hurt him or that they've ever had a negative experience. We don't have them around one another unless there's significant safety in place. Um, But that action is a reflex. So for this bear, it is curious what activated the reflex. I would also say that in the big scheme of things, we can say anything is provoked, right? Humans encroach on wildlife all the time, um, that will change things, right? It's going to impact what's available to the bear, uh, whether or not the bear gets landlocked, like all sorts of things. Now, again, I trust the people in Arizona who work with bears every day to know way more about it than I do. If they tell me it was an unprovoked attack, I'm going to tend to believe them, though I'm sure part of that is also about, hey, they're talking to the media and they don't want people to be afraid to go to this amazing area of, of their state, because that's a big tourist area. So, you know, this isn't the bear fell out of a tree and landed on him and killed him. That was not the case. You know, this was a predatory attack based on the information we have. So then the question becomes, why would a well-fed, healthy bear, um, suddenly decide to choose prey that's atypical that's yeah that was um that was one of my questions too and and i agree and i and i also too want to reiterate that we are not necessarily questioning the results of of their investigation what we're trying to do is raise some questions about behavior and whether or not um we we really understand behavior as well as we sometimes think we do and the idea of, of instinctive behavior, which is when you were talking about Mr. Killing the Cats, I was thinking about my sweet Zuzu, who is, um, who, uh, she, when we were over, when, when I was visiting my daughter in Hillsdale a few years ago, and my son-in-law um, forgot to put the chickens up, although he, he told me he had, he just, he just forgot, and so I let Zuzu out, and she ended up killing one of the chickens. It's not that she hates chickens, it's just it triggered that predatory instinct in her. And so I think that we don't necessarily understand predation. 
and what some of the triggers are for predation. And, and I don't know how well studied black bears are. That's the other thing. I don't know how much people really know about the behavior of, of black bears, which I find kind of interesting. But I was thinking too about how does this tie into the Lamborghini dude who drove his Lamborghini into the back of a semi. And I'm wondering if there isn't some sort of instinctive behavior or some sort of, like you were saying that Mr. wouldn't kill, he'd kill the cat just because the instinct, the predatory instinct would kick in and then, oh wow, wait a minute, that's the cat I lived with. Um, I wonder if with the Lamborghini guy, if there wasn't some underlying passion or instinct or something for speed to go fast, to do something dangerous. Well, I mean, yeah, he was, I mean, having observed his behavior, Christopher and I, well, so I said to Christopher, I, oh yeah. So I said to Christopher, like, wow, the driving around Atlanta is extra spicy today. Um, And he's like, well, that's one word for it. And I said, what was that? Right. Cause the guy went past us probably doing 130 miles an hour in the emergency lane, uh, which is how he ended up rear ending the semi. And then, you know, we could see him weaving through five lanes of traffic. Like he owned the joint, like it was a racetrack. So, um, although maybe without that skill. And so then there was a conversation of like, okay, that, you know, that's a Lamborghini Aventador. It's at least a $500,000 car. Who could the driver be, right? Assuming that it had been purchased, that it was owned by an individual. And so we kind of had our short list of that. And then we we didn't, didn't even think about that the dude could have rented it. Uh, hopefully he got the rental insurance. I think that for any of us who have ever rented a car, right? That's the first thing that went go into our mind is like, wow, I hope he, got, he picked up the rental insurance because we usually don't do that. And so, but then we don't normally rent Lamborghinis. True. Well, and if you have rental insurance on your, like my, um, uh, so my insurance, if I rent a, they cover it, but I pay for that. Okay. So, and by the way, you can turn that on and off. So you cannot have it until you need like the week before you're going to have a rental and then you can turn it on and turn it back off. Don't tell anyone. Okay. So unprovoked attack, right? So uh, an, an attack can be provoked by instinct, right? Predation. It can be provoked by previous experience, even previous experience with different individuals. So I'm wondering, did the bear learn that the smell of coffee was attached to hunters or people who ran bears off or people who pressured bears or people who, who eat bacon next or, or people who are going to make bacon next. Cause I'm assuming, you know, bacon is uh, something that bears are fans of. So, so my question would be for the professionals who know bear behavior better is our bears uh, known for classical conditioning that building an association when this occurs, this is how I feel about that. 
I would assume that they do. That's how learning happens in most animals, right? If I bite my mom too hard, she swats me away and roars at me, right? So something ugly happens because I did something ugly and I learned as a baby bear how much, how hard I can bite my mom before it becomes dangerous. So my question for the universe would be like, how far, how deep do we go into provocation? I think most of us think about the, the exact moment that the thing happened and they don't necessarily look at historical learning, historical experience, nature, nurture, uh, animal type, what kind of work they do, right? To ask Zuzu to ignore fowl is probably unfair. Her brain is pre-designed to notice fowl. Um, so, you know, not a big surprise to me that she thought chasing a chicken was going to be super fun. And it was a great squeaky toy while it lasted. Right. And that's why we went for the second one who then dove underneath it. And, and then, Susie, then Zuzu basically plucked its feathers. And it, was, it, it ended up being just fine and growing back the most beautiful feathers I've ever seen on a chicken. So... Happy ending for that chicken. For the chicken currently known as Lucky. So it's interesting to me. Um, I do hear an awful lot. It amazes me how often this is the case. That there's a conflict between multiple dogs in the household. Maybe two dogs in the household have a dust up about something. And they, the call is almost always saying that the younger dog, the newer dog was the attacked the other dog without provocation. If I had a nickel for every time I heard this, I, the house would be paid off. Often we find when we dig into it, into the behavior that the other dog, the one that's been there longest and that we have more allegiance to has actually been quietly or not so quietly harshing that other dog's mellow. And so, again, learning has happened over a series of times, sometimes years, just like I would say, you know, most divorces don't happen from one single incident. They can, but that's relatively rare. It tends to be more an accumulation of uh, conflict that's unresolved in a way that both parties can get excited about. So it's. I mean, can it happen because of a single incident like the person in Yellowstone trying to pet the fluffy cow? Yes, that's a provoked attack. The person was spectacularly dumb. They did, and Darwin stepped in and rendered judgment. It, it just it seems, it's amazing to me how many times Mr. Darwin steps into situations. It's, um, it's, it's very, very interesting to me. Um, and, 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 yeah. and, and the thing is, is I was just at Yellowstone about a year ago and a um, little over a year ago. Well, they seem so docile. That's the, that's the biggest problem with the fluffy cows. And unless you know how to read their signals, you just think that they're talking. Like we, for example, we stopped so I could use the restroom at this one particular area. And we had some trash in the car they wanted to throw out. Now, why I was waiting to go in the restroom, some people were there with a guide. And the guide was talking about how to read buffalo body language, right? 
And she says, if they lift their tail, it's either they have to defecate or they're starting to get aroused and annoyed. And then if they start <laughs> noising, you know, huffing, then, you know, they're basically letting you know. So I, go, I listen to all this. Then I go to the restroom. I go to the car to get the bag of trash. And I go over towards the trash can. And there's a buffalo about 10 feet away. His tail goes up and he goes, <laughs> I put the trash in, got in the car and left. Because I had learned that if they do that, you should back away. Because they're clearly telling you that they're uncomfortable. But if I hadn't heard that guy telling, I don't know what I, 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 I think that I would have had enough sense to go, he's making noises at me, I'm just going to back up. But it's, I, so I think sometimes it's just we don't, we don't know what we're looking for. And imagine how much even better it would have been if you had, would have been her overheard the guide talking about the, uh, the calming signals between Buffalo when they bother each other, somebody gets annoyed with someone else. How do Buffalo deescalate the situation to go, Oh, my bad. Sorry. I didn't mean to upset you and to get gracefully out of the situation because of course, conflict is costly to animals. If, if you and I get in a fist fight, one of us is going to lose some hair and it's probably going to be me. So it's because I think Julie could take me anytime. She's tough. Well, I was thinking it's because you just had cancer treatment and your hair is more likely to come out. <laughs> no, no. no. Okay. So, but, but again, like it's these layers of, okay. It, it could have been that you would, so had you, thank goodness you weren't, been gored. From your perspective, you were just throwing your trash away and going to the restroom. That's it. That's all you were doing, right? So you could have said in the case of an attack, it was unprovoked. Well, it wasn't. You were too close, right? You didn't have the intention of provoking. And I would say for all the people who are like, you know, the dog did blah, 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 and it was provoked and, or it was unprovoked because the individual had good intentions. Well, my cat would also have very good intentions walking through the room to give Mr. a cuddle. He would be the best. He loves dogs. He would be the best intentioned cat. But it, in the eyes of the one being cuddled, it, that would be provoking predation. So some pieces of this, I think, can be really hard for people to say, you know, I reached for the I, I reached, my child reached down, this is a typical call, my child reached down to see what the dog was chewing on and picked it up. And when he did, the dog growled at him and I'm not going to stand for that. Like that was unprovoked. The child was just curious. And I think Colleen did a great job of saying, like, even with the best of intentions, there are going to be miscommunications. Um, if I don't, I don't like oatmeal raisin cookies. So if Julie did and, and she loves oatmeal raisin cookies. I actually, I kind of do. And for my birthday, she sent me a whole box of oatmeal raisin cookies. It would have been a punishment. It wouldn't have been intended as a punishment, but it would have landed as a, oh, that was a really nice thought. It just doesn't really fit me. Right. 
Well, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, experiences, past experiences influencing current behavior. And um, I have another example. I've had a very interesting week. Um, so we have a shed in our new house. And we've been thinking about turning the shed into Brad's office because he gave me the office in the new house. He walked in and he looked at the office and said, I see the boy who danced for the moon. That's my next novel being written here. And I was like, okay, then that says to me, you've given me the office because you're not writing the boy who danced for the moon. I am. So it's my, anyway, so we're going to turn the shed into an office, but it's going to need a little bit of work. So I was out there and there was this box, this really pretty box. And it was, it had a lid, but the lid was open and there was a plate sitting in the lid in the box so that you couldn't close the lid. Right? So I look in the box and I move a couple of things around in the box. There's a little shoe insert and so on and so forth. And then I put it down and then I was going to take the plate and put it on the shelf so I could close the box. Right? So I pick it. I have my sunglasses on. This is really a bad idea. I'm never wearing my sunglasses indoors ever again because I pick up the plate. I turn around put it on the shelf and I look back and there's a piece of wire that's moving in the box. And I'm like, why is that moving? And I lean over and a black snake slithers out of the box and down the side. And I don't know where he went, but I have not had positive experiences with snakes. Um, I, I, I understand they're important for the ecology. I understand they're probably eating the mice that live underneath the shed. And that's all great. We just don't have to have a personal relationship. Okay. Snakes can live in snaky snake land over there. And I'm going to live over here in people land and they don't have to cross. I screamed, of course, because it startled the hymenelli out of me. Right. So I scream. And then Brad, who's in the garage, hears the scream. And this was his thought process. I bet Julie saw a snake. And then, and then he says to himself, huh, it's awfully silent. Maybe she got hurt. And then, well, maybe I should go see. So he goes over and I'm standing in the back of the shed, just sort of shaking because there had been this snake in this box and I'd actually had my hand in, you know, and as I told a friend of mine, I said, you know, the snake itself was enough of an experience. If however, you know, and every snake will bite. They just, whether it's poisonous or not, snakes bite. If I had had my hand in there, if the snake had bitten me, I think I would have died. Not because it was a poisonous snake, but I just would have died. I would have died because there was a snake attached to my hand. And that is about my definition of a total and unadulterated nightmare. Imagine how this was for the poor black snake. Oh, I'm sure. He was just minding his own business in his home. Some (laughs) ogre comes in and starts rearranging the furniture and screams it. That's right. Well, he slid it off. He didn't turn around and attack. You gotta love a black snake. They're so sweet. No, no, you don't. You don't. You can appreciate them. You do not have to love them. But I was thinking that, for me, snakes are just not a good thing. And my reaction was, was well, one, it just startled me, because I was not expecting a snake in the box, and to have it slither out right in front of me was very startling. So, I may have overreacted, um, but on the other hand, it was not perhaps an overreaction for me. It was an appropriate response to a situation that really scared me. 
and it was nearly traumatic. For a lot of people, like for my one of my best friend's husbands used to collect snakes for the Dayton um, Natural History Museum. He lived in Dayton, and he would as a kid he used to collect snakes and take it to him. So he will reach out and pick up any snake he sees, and I'm like, oh my heavens, this would not have been anything at all to that man. But it, what it boils down to is what's the history I'm bringing to this? And my history with snakes is not good. And it also hits on instinct, right? There are a lot of things that humans are afraid of because of generational genetic trauma. Epigenetics. Not all all snakes are venomous, but the ones that are will extol a big price. So it's important for that learning, for the amygdala to decide that was a threat before you even visually identified what it was. Like, get out. Right. And again, for a snake, I would assume that there's a little bit of if you bite the bipeds, you get smushed and cut up with a rake or a shovel. That is probably their gener- their generational instinctive trauma learning. You're not in the gene pool very long. And I'm assuming that they have intellect. I think they do. Based on what I see here at the store, they do. They definitely know when it's feeding day. Anyway, so they they do learn on some level, or again, they would likely just die. They wouldn't get good at hunting. Well, wait, I bet he went back to his little snaky friends and said, you know, I'm just sitting in my box and suddenly there's this unprovoked attack by this biped. Right. So, right. So, like, it's it's just so multi-layered that I... I'm always a little, um, I'm like, I don't know that it's an unprovoked attack. I think, I think that there is a romance about saying it's an unprovoked attack so that we don't have any responsibility or baggage. If a bear falls out of a tree and kills me, that was an unprovoked attack. There was nothing I in theory, there's nothing I could have done. Now, could I walk looking up in the trees? Sure. If I see a drunk bear, can I avoid standing under the tree? Maybe. So even then, like, okay, well, is that really an, un- I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know that when we were living in Ecuador, the iguanas would sleep in the trees and sometimes they would fall out of the trees. We'd be walking along with this, splat! turn around and some sleeping iguana has fallen out of a tree and landed on the ground and they're kind of looking around like did anybody see me yeah well or or it's like god i hope no one saw me you know they move one foot and then another and then the back foot and they're like okay all four feet are working Uh, i i meant to do that it was time for me to move up right so i think sometimes stuff does happen that we that we don't have explanations for and you know what i think that's okay but I think that as humans, we are driven to find an explanation. And if we don't have one, then I think part of the, to say it was unprovoked, gives us an answer to a riddle we can't solve. Right. And maybe it should make us a little more curious, too. Right. Well, one of the things I'm thinking is, is you had mentioned that as humans perhaps encroach more in on bare territory, maybe we need more studies done on bears and bear, bear behavior so we can understand what is likely to be some of the consequences of what's going on. Are you know how does this change bear social behavior? 
Are they more likely to, to, to be provoked? Maybe his daughters will use part of her inheritance to try to do some good in the world and in his name, maybe help fund a bear behavior research. I mean, that's, in my experience, that's how we learn. It's when we have a vested interest, right? There's there's something that we're like, okay, well, how do we make the best out of um, my unprovoked cancer attack? That's, that's right, your unprovoked cancer attack. Right? So I wear my shirt that says, hey, a mammogram saved my life. Get yours, right? And it's not I'm trying to be the boss of you. It's that I love you enough to remind you that you matter and that it's worth going and checking and being around hopefully for a really long time with the people you love. Right. So I remember I saw a woman at the gym one time. She was great. I really loved her. She was just so fun. She had a shirt that says something about, yes, they're fake. The real ones tried to kill me. Right. Yes. I think the more that we get, this is probably what makes bunches of people dog trainers, right? Is that they, they learn more about behavior because something happens in front of them. And and instead of going, wow, that was like, that was unprovoked. They said, I want to know how to, how to figure out that that's going to happen and prevent it in the future. That's exactly how I got into it. That's exactly how I got into it. And um, because I didn't want, I wanted to help prevent what happened with our, with it, with Emma's first dog, Molly from happening with anybody else. You know, she, um, she killed our neighbor's dog and, you know, we had tried pretty much everything that we could think of. Um, she just, um, you know, and I worked with a lot of really good people and spent thousands of dollars to try and fix this dog. And I don't think she was fixable. I think that her beginnings were so bad that we just were not going to, some dogs don't have the ability to recover from bad beginnings. Other dogs do, which I also find really interesting, is the genetic component to these behaviors. That some dogs, they have, you know, they have awful beginnings and they turn out to be some of the most amazing dogs on the planet. There are other dogs that have not so good beginnings and they can never recover. So that's all true for people too. I had a psychology course once that the professor said, we still don't know what makes some kids when they fall off their bikes get up, rub dirt on it, and jump back on, and why some children never get on a bike again, right? They don't, we don't know what makes, at least as far as I know, we don't know. If you know, if we, if that's changed, by all means, jump on. I'm old. This was in college. So it's, um, at that time anyway, his statement was, we, we don't know what that mechanism is. Like what makes one child that's abused become incredibly empathetic and helpful and loving in the world and generous and makes another child raised in exactly the same home um, and uh, with the same treatment and an abuser and criminal and unsuccessful in life and, and unfortunately toxic to the people around them. We don't, we don't know what makes that happen. Um, So it's, it's interesting. It is very interesting. And so I think that when we're talking about things that are unprovoked or we don't understand or, you know, out of the blue or was totally unexpected, I think that there's probably 
a lot more going on below the surface of that particular event than what meets the eye. It's a little bit like the, the great old analogy of an iceberg, you know. What we see of the event is the, is the small part, the, the 5 to 10% of the iceberg that's above the water. But what's the 90 to 95% under the water that's causing that 5% on the top? And we don't, and it's probably a combination of genetics, experience, I mean, just health, hunger, sleep. Halt! Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Right. So I think that, that, that sometimes we, especially I found in dog training, is to try and parse some of this apart. It actually helped the owners to have a broader understanding of their dog. When we started looking at things from sort of a three-pronged approach, that behavior has three components. You know, there's just the the baseline personality, the genetics, this is who I am. It's also, what's the circumstances surrounding it? What's the environmental influences that may be affecting the behavior? And three, what am I bringing to the table from past experience? And those are the three basic components, but there's so much more that can be added to that. So I think that when we start looking at this stuff, we need to ask ourselves a little bit more than um, just why did this happen? I think why is a pretty broad question that encompasses a lot of how and where and when and, you know, other questions are all involved in that why is to, and we may never fully, and as you said, we may never fully understand because one is, is as much as I can get somewhat into the mind of Zuzu, I can't get completely into that little flat-headed brain, flat-coated brain. It's just a, it's a mystery to me. <laughs> There's a lot of, I try, I'm not always good at it. Sometimes I don't know how to do it, but to ask them questions, right? To get curious. So when I see a behavior, of course, you know, in the moment I'm going to manage and adjust whatever we have to do to keep everybody safe. But then from there, I'm going to get curious and I'm going to be asking that animal lots and lots of questions and not assuming that I know things that I don't know. Right. Right. So I, I don't know. Do bears have bad days? Does if a bear has um, some sort of, you know, has fallen and hit his head and his eyes aren't functioning correctly or he has a concussion, is that evident on a necropsy for a bear? How do, you know, how deeply do we go into that? Did Steve sadly drinking his coffee, sitting in his chair, did he kind of sort of look to a visually impaired bear like a deer? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry that, that someone lost his life. I am too. I am too. I'm very sorry. In what sounds like something where he made lots of good decisions and that it's not observable that he made any bad ones. And I can only imagine how awful. Yeah, how horrific it must have been for him. Well, the, the, the thing is, is, is I think we also have to remember that, that, you know, we can make all the right decisions and things can still go awry. Yeah. And, and that's the nature of the world. But uh, I think one of the things that, that the idea of asking questions 
it means that you sort of it, it, because the other thing is is I think that that when I'm talking to clients and asking him questions, um, I'm, you know, I'm not being judgmental. I'm just trying to get information because um, if I jump to a judgment about what happened or an opinion about what happened without getting information, then I might make the wrong decision about what needs to be done or where we need to go. Because some of the things that I find interesting is sometimes in these conversations, and I'll be saying, okay, well, so has anything happened recently? Well, and then suddenly something comes out like, yeah, you know, like last week when we were playing fetch, he pulled up really short and, and wouldn't put any weight on his rear leg. Huh. So we might be talking about some pain. So I think sometimes by delving into these questions where we can, we get information that can be quite valuable. So not that we can well, ask the bear I'm questions, but... We all just do the best we can. And I, I do honestly frame it as um, the animals are also doing the best they can, right? They, they're really masterful at avoiding conflict, right? I mean, especially our family dogs and our family cats. They are masters at avoiding conflict. Maybe cats a little less so sometimes, but I think they don't get enough credit for that. Honestly, the average, maybe everybody's better at it than I was, but like our household, when we had, you know, two adults and three kids and nine dogs, it, it was loud. Sometimes there was occasionally conflict. Somebody was mad at somebody else and, you know, all the monkeys are yelling and throwing poo. And I used to joke that we didn't run a tight ship. We ran a, we ran a pirate ship. Right. It worked fine. But, you know, nobody, everybody was pulling on an oar. We might have been in direct opposition to one another, but at least no one was drilling holes in the bottom of the boat. So um, I just think, I think back to those dogs when I didn't know nearly as much and the chaos that they were in and how often one of my dogs would go, yeah, peace out. Now, I think they lay there going, not my circus, not my monkey. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, it's awful that this gentleman lost his life. Um, it's very sad that an Aventador was murdered. Uh, um, you know, he's the guy's fortunate that he only had minor injuries. He so. is so lucky, so very lucky. Um, his insurance. Let's put it this way: his insurance premium has not in his has now suffered grave injury. Insurance premiums just went up. You can hear it if you listen to the dashboard. So. So we hope Dr. Glass is with us soon, and we think we hope this foray into our weird brains uh, wasn't too awful and boring. <laughs> Sometimes the episodes we do that are like this, kind of on the fly because something unexpected happened, Sometimes those are people's favorites. So if you have a topic you want us to discuss or if you want to learn more, if you know someone who would be an excellent guest to have on the show, please reach out. Uh, Julie, what's the email they're supposed to use? Ah, feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. So, so until next time. Oh, okay. I just wanted to say that my book is coming out the same day that this podcast is being released, which is August 1st. So you can order it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can get it as Kindle. You can get it as a paperback, but the Beast Keepers will be available August 1st. And I would love your support.
are you are you doing any specials where if someone purchases it directly through you, you'll autograph it and ship it? I could do that. We'll give that thought, and we we'll make an announcement about that later. Okay. Then and yes, that probably would could could very well happen. And you can ask me about it by emailing me at feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. So speaking of feedback, if you have a guest you'd like us to invite onto the show or learn more about, if you have a question, if you have a topic, we love your feedback. Uh, we really appreciate it. Honestly, doing a podcast sometimes feels a little bit like yelling into the void and wondering if anyone's hearing us. So it's always great when we get feedback that someone uh, is is listening. So Lisa, shout out to you. I have a different mic system this week. You'll have to let me know if I don't sound like I'm moving further away from the mic or not. Uh, give us a five-star review. If you're listening on Apple podcasts, please give us five stars or likes on whatever podcast program you utilize. Hit the subscribe button. Please share us Share us with your parent groups, share us with your pediatrician, share us with your veterinarian, share us with your breeder. We'd love to have a bigger footprint and to be able to love more families. So until next time, do not pet the fluffy cows. Just that's our advice. Never pet a fluffy cow. Right. Without permission from the cow and its owner. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Tina. We'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.